Amen. 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 Before you take your seat, <laughs> take your Bibles and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. And I am so tempted to read this whole chapter. Um, it, it's a compelling chapter. And we'll start in verse 1, and I might take it down to verse 16 at least. We catch this narrative. It is a great chunk of text, and I'm excited to bring it forth um, to you this evening. If you are using one of our Bibles, I can tell you that Nehemiah chapter 6 is found on page 373. And the reason why we stand for the reading of God's word is because this word is alive, it's sufficient, it is inspired by our God, and it can transform our lives. Amen. And so we stand in reverence of the word of God. Nehemiah chapter six, starting in verse one, it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Gresham, the Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although at that time I had not set up the door, the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Gresham sent to me saying, come. Let us meet together at Hakopim, Hakofium, something like that, in the plan of oh no, but they intended to do me harm. Verse three, and I sent messages to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sambalit, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Gresham also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. According to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking they that the hands, their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. We'll stop there and jump down to verse 15. Look at what Nehemiah writes. He says, so the wall was finished on the, on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived, catch this, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we come before you, your word, we pray that your spirit would enlighten us, that he would show us Christ, that he would show us the, the, 
the work and the truth of Christ even seen in this text. And by doing so, we would take a step closer to him. That we would become more like him after sitting under your word. And Father, I pray that this would not just be a word we hear, but this would be a word that we take and apply by the power of your spirit working in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A quick summary of where we've been. We're now in the sixth chapter of Nehemiah. And last week, we seen the broken ways of the people. And we seen how the people were oppressing one another. We seen how the Jews were taking advantage of some within the community. And we talked about how should we treat people and how we shouldn't treat people and how we become the kinds of people who treat others well. And so that was the message last week. But when we come to chapter six, it can be divided into two sections. The first 14 verses is just enemies coming against Nehemiah to manipulate him and intimidate him. And in the second portion, verses 15 and 19, we have the announcement of the walls being completed and how the enemies responded to the completion of the walls. But as I was reading this text and studying this text, what really stood out to me is this verbiage of they said or it was said. There's a lot of talking going on in this text, and it reminded me of this this reality that there's so many voices in the world. There's so many voices going on and there's so many messages being carried by these voices. And we'll, we'll acknowledge what's being said to Nehemiah in the text. But if we just take a step back real quick and acknowledge like this is true in our lives. There's media. There's, there's, there's the entertainment there's advertisement. There's so many voices. Culture is speaking to us loudly, telling us what we should believe or what we shouldn't believe, how we should live or how we shouldn't live. There's so many voices. There's so many messages, literal and subliminal. Are you with me? Our world is full of voices. And I have to believe, and I think you're with me, I have to believe that the majority of those messages has our adversary fingerprints all over them. The enemy is behind a lot of the messages that are being propagated and proclaimed within society. And the Bible tells us that he is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And his intention, his intentions with these messages is to hold them out like a baited hook. The worm is shining bright, and once we take a hold of the hook, it will ensnare us and entrap us. I believe the enemy is trying to use the messages of the culture of the world to lead us into temptation. And that is the very thing that Jesus told us to be, to pray that we will be delivered from. Amen? Amen. Think about the messages we receive, the messages we hear, the message. We try to ignore. Here's a big idea that I want to pull out of this text is as we face real opposition, it's important to stand firm and heed the right voices. Are you with me? As we face real opposition, it's important that we stand firm and heed the right voices. 
And so to navigate our time together, I want to use a very simple outline. I want to talk about the voices of opposition. Secondly, the way to respond to those voices of opposition. And then lastly, how do we overcome the voices of opposition? Are you with me? The voices of opposition, how do we respond to them? But then how do we overcome them is where I would like us to head. And so first, the voice, the voices of opposition. And I want you to turn back. Look at the text with me. In verse one, it becomes very evident that Nehemiah considers these people to be his enemies. He says that and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breaches left. Nehemiah considered these men to be his enemies. Sembalat was what many people believe to be the governor of Samaria. So he was a leader. Gresham was a, another uh, governor and a guy of high standing. Tobiah was an Ammonite, but his son was married into the Jewish family and had some rank within the community as well. And so the men that he's dealing with are not only his enemies, but they are enemies with power. And we can see three Three ways in which they speak opposition, they try to carry out opposition. Three ways in which they're trying to stop Nehemiah from working. And the first one is distraction. That's what we see in verses one through four, where they tell him in verse two, come, let us meet together and, and, and meet us at this place. But Nehemiah says they were intending to do me harm, verse two. And if you take a step back, the, the fact that they invited him to come and talk with him, many commentators believe that this was somewhat like a truce, that they were acknowledging that the walls had been built and there was nothing that they could do about that. So they they're, they're, they're tell him, they call him to come meet us here. It was kind of like, okay, you did that. But if you're going to continue to lead and go forward, we want to just meet with you and we'll make things right. It's kind of their proposition of what they're trying to get him to do. Come, let's talk. We'll, we'll, we'll gloss over the beef we had in the past and we'll make everything right. But Nehemiah was not, <laughs> he was not, he was not going for it. He recognized that they were seeking to harm him. He denied the flattery. Come on. He denied the flattery and he says, no, I won't be distracted. And so they tried to do that, not just one time, not twice, but the text says in verse four, they tried this method four times. Come, come down, come meet with us. Four times they tried to distract him. The second thing they tried to do is to intimidate him. We see that in verses five to seven. They tried to intimidate him. And they said, we have an open letter now, the thing about an open letter here is that typically when a letter was being sent, it would have been sealed so no one could see what's inside. But to have an open letter intends that people will read it and news would spread. Gossip would happen. And what was inside that letter? Basically, this report that Nehemiah was trying to make himself king. And guess what? The king in Persia, he's going to hear about that is what they're threatening him with. And so they tried to intimidate Nehemiah. And we'll see how he responded to that. But notice in verse 10, their last, their last opportunity. Well, not their last, the second from the last, if you want to be technical. Verse 10, they tried to deceive him. You have this story here where Nehemiah goes down and he visits the prophet. And the prophet tells him, hey, these people are trying to kill you. 
They're trying to kill you. So let's go into the temple and close the door and lock ourselves in there. And this, this trap was twofold. Number one, he's trying to get Nehemiah to be afraid. He says, they're coming to kill you, right? You need to flee. You need to be afraid. But then the second thing he tells them to do is go and hide yourself in the temple. And the law was that only the priests were, were suitable to go into the temple. And so this prophet was trying to get Nehemiah to be afraid and disobey God. He was trying to deceive Nehemiah. Nehemiah picked up on that. And so here we have three voices, the voice of distraction, the voice of intimidation, the voice of deception. And these were outside voices. But if we take a step back again and just think about our lives, these voices sometimes can penetrate into our minds if we're honest. When we get the voice of the enemy trying to distract us, when the voice of the enemy comes to discourage us or intimidate us, sometimes the voice enters our mind and we fall prey to the lies of the enemy. If we're honest, sometimes we allow the deceptive words of the enemy to begin to foster in our mind. I want to just ask you, if you just think about your thoughts for the past couple of weeks, was there any lies of the enemy that slipped into your mind? Maybe it was this idea that you're not good enough. Maybe it was this idea that you're a hypocrite or you deserve to be alone or you deserve to be hurted or you don't deserve the grace of God. Maybe it was this idea that you're, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to find joy or peace. How has the enemy been lying to you? How has he been lying to you? And I want to acknowledge that this was in the context of ministry. Nehemiah was seeking to not only rebuild the wall, but rebuild a community of people. And the enemy, I believe, can even put lies in our mind, even about the work of the ministry. He could get us to believe or try to get us to believe that this ministry, it's not working. There's no fruit happening in what you're doing. Why are you wasting your time? Do you know that's a long drive up the Euclid? Come on, somebody. <laughs> this is too hard. This is not going to bear fruit. You don't need to be in this. How has the enemy lied to you? How is he trying to get you to believe these false accusations, these false messages to bring you down from the good work? I believe the enemy is always looking to sow a seed of deception, sow a seed of distrust, sow a seed of distraction. And this is inside. If I'm honest, if I think about my own life, as soon as I wake up and feet hit the floor, my mind gets to racing. Am I the only one? I'm not saying a word, but there's so much going on in my mind. You know what I'm thinking about? Oh, I forgot to call that person back. Oh, I'm a, I'm a bad friend. I didn't call him back. I didn't return that email. I'm a bad coworker. Come on, somebody. My mind is racing. I'm thinking about my failures. I'm thinking about the things I haven't done. I'm thinking about the balls I dropped. And in that moment, what should we do? We should pray, amen. And we should take our eyes off ourselves and put them on who? Put them on Jesus. Put him on Jesus. And Nehemiah, he shows us how we can respond to opposition. This is my second point. Since the way we respond to opposition, 
In verse 3, when they were trying to distract him, he simply told them, hey, I'm not coming down. He ignored them. He ignored them. I'm not coming down from the wall. This is a good work. I'm not listening to you. I'm not giving in to you. I will not come down. When they tried to intimidate him, he told them very simply, you are inventing these things out of your own mind. They're trying to frighten us. They're trying to bring us down. And what does he do? He prays. He says, oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands, oh Lord. I don't want to give in to the intimidation. And so you better believe one way we respond when the enemy begins to fill our mind or try to fill our mind with lies and deception. We better pray. We better pray. Verse 11, Nehemiah recognized that this guy, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 of chapter six. He says, but I said, should such a man as I run away? So he says, I'm not going to be afraid. But then he goes on to say, and what man such as I should go into the temple and live? I would not go in. Nehemiah knew his word. And he, he relied on the word to understand that I don't belong in the temple. And so that is one way in which we respond to the opposition. We stand on the word of God. And we realize that God is in control and that he is leading us. I love the fact that we get to that Nehemiah boasts and we get to celebrate what the Lord did in 52 days. In 52 days, the Lord had the walls rebuilt. And the, and the enemies recognized it. The enemies knew it. Hey, God has done a great work. Nehemiah is not getting the glory. The Jews are not getting the glory. God is getting the glory for the work being done. And so we can ignore the lies. We can pray against the lies. We can stand on the word and combat the lies. But I want to lastly talk about how do we fully overcome opposition? How do we fully overcome the voices of temptation that bombard us daily? How do we overcome? How do we overcome? And I think like many things, if we want a proper solution, we need a proper diagnosis of the issue. And so I want to ask the question, where, what is at the root of temptation? Are you with me? Sin. Okay. At the root of temptation, because temptation, if we're being tempted, we haven't sinned yet. Right. But we're being prompted to sin. We're being alert to sin. Right. But what's at the root of those temptations? In the Bible, we can see very clearly what's at the root. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Where we see Eve. Eyes, right? The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. We see the serpent telling Eve, you shall surely not die. For God knows the day of you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when she looked at the tree and saw that it was good to be eaten and saw that it can make her wise, she took of it and she ate. Or go to Matthew chapter four, where we see our Lord Jesus being tempted. He tell, Satan tries to get him to turn the bread, turn the stones into bread. Feed yourself. Throw yourself down from here. For, you know, scripture says that the angels will pick you up. And your foot will not even hit against a stone. Protect yourself. 
Verse 9 of the temptation of Jesus, Satan says, just bow down and worship me and all the kingdoms in their glory I'll give to you. Exalt yourself. And at the root of temptation, we see these three things. There's this, there's this lure for us to gratify ourselves, to protect ourselves, or to exalt ourselves. Every temptation falls into one of those categories. And sometimes a number of those categories together. Are you with me? The enemy is always calling us, exalt yourself. Protect yourself. Don't worry about God. You got you to gotta cover your own back. Protect yourself. Or satisfy yourself. Or exalt yourself. It's all about you. And the truth is, if this is the diagnosis and we recognize this is how we face temptations, it is at this very point where the gospel of Jesus Christ is so good news. It's such good news because even though we fall into temptation, there is one who did not. Look at him in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy after 40 days of fasting. What does he do? He stands on the word of God and he he overcomes the temptation. And that was just the preview. Amen? Amen? Could you imagine throughout the whole life of Jesus, the enemy working against him saying, don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. Don't die. You know what's going to happen on the cross? That's going to be a heavy penalty to pay. That's going to be a heavy burden to carry. And yet Jesus did it. He went to the cross. He marched right on to Calvary. And laid down his life to save us sinners. Jesus repeatedly said no to the lies of the enemy. And repeatedly said yes to Calvary. For us. For us. Jesus laid down his life for us. I want you to think about Matthew 27, 40. Where our Lord and Savior is actually on the cross. He's on the cross. And the people are mocking him. Calling him to do what? Come down, save yourself. The lies, the voices were even there on the cross. Save yourself, come down. And you know what he could have did? 12 legion of angels were at his command. He said no. He said no. Why? Because he loves us. And like what Hebrews said, he wanted to be a high priest who can sympathize with us. He knows the temptations we face, and yet he faithfully overcame them all. So when we don't, we have a perfect one in our place. That is a great place for amen. amen. Our Savior, our champion, Christ, has conquered. And here's the truth. The whole point is, how do we overcome temptation? Here's the truth. You cannot. But he can. And Colossians says that he is in us. Amen. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And so through Christ, we can, by the power of his spirit, overcome temptation. But how? Like on a practical level. Okay, I know Jesus can do it. He's in me. He empowers me. But what does that look like tomorrow? Because the temptations are going to come. Amen? 
unless you're going to cut off your phone, pluck out your eyes, and not go to work, and not go driving, and not do anything. Just lay in the bed, and even there, your thoughts will bring temptation. Come on, somebody. I need some help here. So how do we respond? How do we overcome opposition on a practical level? Number one, we preach this gospel to ourselves daily. We preach this good news to ourselves daily. And the gospel, the gospel becomes a song that overrides the voices of the world. Amen. Amen. This gospel tells us that we are loved by God. We are delivered from our sins. We have victory in Jesus. We have not been abandoned. We will not be forgotten. We are kept by him. You preach the gospel to yourself daily. Number two, you allow this gospel message to expose the lies for what they are. When the enemy comes and tell you that you aren't loved, when the enemy comes and tell you that you are forgotten, that you are forsaken, you tear down those lies and you bring them to subjection under Jesus Christ and his truth. We expose the false voices with the gospel. And then lastly, and most importantly, I would say you make a declaration right now that you would trust God. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, you make a, a declaration that you will trust God. You will trust God. Understand, loved ones, that Christianity is not a, I'm going to try harder religion. Christianity is, I'm going to trust more religion. Come on, somebody. It's not, I'm going to try harder to overcome the enemy. No, it's, I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to lean on him. I'm going to believe that he who saved me can keep me and bring me home to glory. That is what we stand on. I'm going to close with this quote from a very known pastor. He said, the greatest joys come in the greatest victories. And the greatest victories come from the greatest battles. When they are fought in the power with the armor of the Lord. So put it on, put on the full armor of God, which is truly the gospel. If you just look at the, the elements of it, it's the salvation, it's the justification, it's the gospel of peace, it's the truth, the battle of truth, it's the gospel. Put on the good news and fight the greatest fights to win the greatest victories through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, thank you for this time and your word. And as we turn now to sing and to give you praise, Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. God, we probably need to do some battle during these songs. Let us do battle and let us have our victory in Christ, in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.